Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kazoo Vine for November 30th, 2021. And actually, I think it's November 28th. I've got everybody getting paid a little early. I guess I'm just excited about the end of the month. Um, But (laughs) let me correct that, the 28th, since this is a Sunday. Um, But welcome back to the Kazoo Vine after a one-week hiatus. Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right. Uh, looking forward to tonight's show. I uh, lined this up a while back. There is a new site, and if you hadn't been to it, I highly recommend it, Race to the WH, you know, usually standing for White House, but um, uh, Race to the WH, White House. Uh, Logan Phillips, the proprietor of that site, I think more people work on it than just Logan, but Logan's one of the main core figures. He's going to come on our show and just discuss all kind of projects they're working on at that site. So we're excited about having Logan here in about 20 minutes. But until then, um, on Tuesday, the mayoral runoff, and there's probably other runoffs happening. It's so nice, actually, to get these things out of the way uh, before, you know, January 5th, like we had last year, But um, which that may have had its own benefits for us in Georgia last time. But this is more traditional runoff where it's, you know, just a few weeks after the main election. And so we're having a runoff for mayor between Felicia Moore and Andre Dickens. And um, Felicia Moore won the first round. Andre Dickens, I don't know what the margin was, but it was rather close, him getting second place. Um, but since that time, the race has been pretty interesting how it's developed. Catherine, you're living in the city of Atlanta, voting in the city of Atlanta. Give us your thoughts. Well, I think that um, I was really hoping that there wouldn't, this wouldn't, this race wouldn't come negative. There was a little bit of, there was a super PAC um, as for Felicia Moore that uh, did some rather disappointing uh, activities around. Uh, they, they darkened Andre's. Uh, Andre Dickens' skin in the ad, and they uh, posed him in front of a, a jail cell, and just some unfortunate choices. But it was a super PAC, so we can't really blame Felicia for the, you know Felicia Moore for that um, for that act those actions. So, and that was really the only negative that I saw. I don't know if there was other things going on. But I do think that over the past week or so um, that um, Andre Dickens has gotten a little bit of momentum. He's gotten some additional endorsements and he's been uh, on TV more than Felicia Moore has. I don't know if that's a, if that's a matter of what I'm watching, where I'm seeing it, or if it's a a budgetary thing for, um, for Felicia Moore. But I'm optimistic uh, about whomever uh, wins. I think they're both good candidates. I think we, Atlanta, will benefit from either of their from leadership of either of them. So I think I think Atlanta's in good hands, no matter who wins. And that's kind of a rare feeling for me. (laughs) So that's where I that's that's where I think we sit. Those tactics of darkening skin, lengthening noses narrowing eyes, any of that nonsense we've seen in, in races past, uh, contests past, even sometimes not political when, they, when you see it uh, sometimes in media. It's repugnant, reprehensible, and it shouldn't have any positive connotations ever. But, Catherine, my feeling is in the city of Atlanta, that would not help in any way. And then when you got found out, which you always do, the blowback is far worse, wouldn't it be? Um, I would think so, but 
you know, we have a, an unusual situation here with, um, uh, I mean, without going into all kinds of, you know, details, uh, with this idea of Buckhead um, seceding from Atlanta. And I think there's a lot of racial implications in all that. So I think that may have been the impetus for this kind of um, bad bad action. Yeah, I, I would think that would not uh, play well at all. Um, Tim, uh, you've probably been following outside the city like I have. What's your thoughts on the race? Well, uh, Felicia Moore got 41% of the vote on the election, not and Andre Dickens. Surprised a lot of folks by finishing second at 23%. And at first you think, well, that's a pretty good gap. She seems to be in pretty good shape. But uh, but as Catherine mentioned, it, it it seems that Moore hasn't really gained any support. To get her to 50%, she's just been stuck there in the 40s. And Dickens' campaign seems to be energized, and he does indeed seem to have gained some momentum. Uh, and watching the Atlanta stations, I'm seeing his all over the place suddenly. And with the endorsement of Mayor Bottoms, which really didn't come as a surprise, but but it uh, did come at an opportune time. I think now he's in the lead. So I'm ready to predict something. How about you? <laughs> we'll, we'll predict things. Um, yes, and actually, like I saw on LinkedIn, and that's where I've been seeing a lot of the race, uh, and that's been re- rather positive because, you know, LinkedIn of the social media, a bunch of negativity just doesn't play well there. You have to be very professional. Um, but I did see that Andrew Young, um, which, Catherine, you told us before in the show that he had originally endorsed Kasim Reed. Now in the runoff, he's endorsed Andre Dickens. That's a former mayor of Atlanta. Have um, – I guess Shirley Franklin or Kasim Reed endorsed, and then I guess has Bill Campbell endorsed, although I don't know that uh, Bill Campbell would be the – he would be the probably the least valuable of the former mayors uh, that are still living. Um, do you know any more about the other mayors? Oh, yeah, Shirley Campbell endorsed Andre Dickens a long time ago, like yeah. months ago. Um, I, I'm sure that nobody wants Kasim Reed's endorsement. <laughs> Well, I mean, more so than more so than Bill Campbell. I mean, Bill Campbell has been off a swile, and of course, the the, the implications when he left were were not good, um, you know. And so, while, while there might be smoke around one, there was fire around the other. Um, and, well, there's and so, fire around the scene too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, so so, but that means he's got of the three mayors that endorsed that would be more valuable. Andre Dickens has the endorsement of three. Any ideas why um, Felicia Moore can't seem to um, get the endorsement of, of any of the, you know, establishment leaders that, you know, held that job in the past? Current mayor, um, there has been some, uh, some, you know, disagreements between the two of them uh, while Felicia Moore was um, city council president. Um, and that, it's, that's no secret. I don't think, and, and she decided to run for mayor before um, Mayor Bottom decided not to run. So that was a, a, a challenge to Mayor Bottoms from the very beginning. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, as far as Shirley Franklin, she and Andre Dickens have uh, worked together for a long time. They're old friends. They're, I think they're from the same neighborhood. Um, they have a, a longstanding Friendship and uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say mentorship, but but they've uh, they're, they're close. Um, and I would say that instead of thinking of it that uh, Felicia Moore didn't get the endorsements, I think it's more 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 accurate to say that Andre did get the endorsements. I think that he's a you know he's a political guy. He's um, very active, very, um, you know, out and about. And I think that, you know, helps you uh, get better known. And um, so 
So uh, that that would be my my. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of a string of compliments um, <laughs> about what he's been doing. I mean, I'm a fan, active and better I'm a known, fan of Andre. and yes, I mean, I mean that's fine. I mean, it just it, it speaks to a more energetic campaign. Um, now, let me ask you this: I mean, because we're assuming he hasn't endorsed. Have any of the other candidates that didn't win a spot in the runoff, and I think there were um, at least two more female candidates, at least another male or two candidates that uh, ran, have any of them endorsed either candidate? Mm. I don't know. They were all pretty um, – unlikely winner you know they didn't have much momentum so but i don't know that's a good question i haven't checked tim do you know no sir i i have not heard of, uh, of any of the other candidates uh endorsing yeah not i, I mean they haven't i just haven't heard of it yeah i mean you yeah. think that if if they felt you know strongly about one candidate or the other they would endorse to you know utilize some power because if they had a mailing list of a few thousand uh, on their campaign and they said, I'm supporting X, then you could theoretically turn those into some votes. And depending on how close the race is, that could be valuable. I mean, um, I, I, it seems like that there would be a bigger deal of it. And I, I don't know why uh, more wasn't made of it if they did endorse. Um, it'd be curious to see. Well, I guess it is prediction time. Um I don't know. Catherine lives in the district, and Tim just seems to be chomping at the bit. Uh, but, Tim, you got to be on the whole show last week, so I'm going to go ahead and let Catherine, as the citizen of Atlanta, go first, and then I'll let you pick. Tim? I mean, let me start. Catherine? Uh, I'm going to predict that Andre Dickens wins. Um, I think it'll be close. And like I said before, either way, I think that Atlanta will be in good shape. Tim, your prediction? Yeah, I think I think he might be pulling away a little bit, and I think he may win all fifty-four forty-six. Yeah, I think he's going to win too. I think it's very interesting how he caught fire just at the right time, right at the end of the runoff. I'm sorry, just right at the end of the regular campaign to make the runoff, and then um, just seem to have momentum throughout. Um, and Felicia Moore, you know. It'll be interesting to see how much she can add. And that's where if those other candidates did endorse her, um, if she could add the lion's share of their vote, even if it isn't single digits, she starts at 41 theoretically, assuming everybody comes out. Catherine, one, one more question since we've all predicted. Um, do you sense that one person's coalition is going to be easier or harder to turn out on Election Day? Um. Well, you know, I, I haven't I, – I'm voting on Tuesday. I usually vote early, but I didn't get around to it this week. Um, I, I have heard that the polls have been busy, that early voting has been very busy. So I, that, I think that rings well. You know, last time, in times past, these, this mayoral election has been won with very small turnout numbers. So I'm hoping that we have a higher turnout. Um, my – this is only – um, my opinion, but like you, like we've said a couple of times, um, there seems to be a lot of energy around um, Andre Dickens' campaign. So I expect that they'll have an easier run of getting votes out. But that's just my um, observation, and I, I, I don't have any numbers to back that up. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see, and we'll know if we're all three right or all three wrong. I guess we'll be in good company either way uh, come next week in our first show in December. Um, well, now let's go ahead and turn to another topic, and this will probably be both sides of our uh, talk with Logan Phillips, and that would be the new congressional maps. Now, the new congressional maps have been out in some form for a little while, but this past week some moves got made um, but there's a lot of talk happened, and there's a lot of different things that are important, but probably the most important is the fact that they added Dawson County, and I guess more of uh, Forsyth County, and took out DeKalb County and part of um, Gwinnett County out of Georgia's 6th district, 
um, and making it much more Republican to where it looks like a light red district instead of a light blue district um, for where it was previously. Um, so that really impacts, in particular, current incumbent uh, Lucy McBath. Um, Tim, what's your take on, really, you can speak about any part of the map, or you can start right there in Georgia 6. Well, the 6 is now, it's not going to be light red. It's going to be, uh, according to the data, R plus 24 district. And that means it would be next to impossible for Lucy McBath to hold on in that district or, or for any Democrat, basically, to win there. Uh, so she's going to have to do something, and she seems to favor moving over and challenging Car- Carolyn Bordeaux um, in the 7th District, which is a D-plus-16 district now under the new lines and, and safe territory. Um, one district um, that I think we ought to keep our eyes on is the second. I talked about this a little bit before we went on the air. Sanford Bishop District now is a D-plus-4 district. Now, that would probably still be safe territory for Sanford Bishop and Sanford Bishop only uh, because of the unique makeup of that district and his connection to it. it, Once he departs the scene, uh, however, uh, we're going to have to watch that district to see if, you know, if there's a chance it would flip. Uh, The other districts that we're looking at uh, you know, I really thought the GOP would try to grab both the 6th and the 7th, but they basically uh, sacrificed winning in the near future in the 7th in order to win the 6th now. Um, the other districts, um, you know, uh, there's been some squawking about our home district. Marjorie Taylor Green is jumping up and down about it. It did become slightly less red about Five points less red, as a matter of fact. Uh, Andrew Clyde, by the way, guys, now has a redder district than this district is. So um, the only other thing I'd say about the districts is there's one district that might be coming our way in the future, and that's the 12th. That's... uh, it's R plus 17, and it's the only other district in the state that's below a 20 points swing either on the Democratic or Republican side of the district side, not mentioned. So that's about yeah. where we're at. Well, we're going to get more detail on there. Um, Catherine, your thoughts on, I guess let's just start on Georgia 6 um, and go out from there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have to admit I haven't studied all the maps that well, but this business in the 6th and 7th is unfortunate, but not none of this is surprising. You know, this is a last gasp from, um, well, maybe not last, but, but nearing the last gasp from the um, Georgia Republicans trying to hold on to their power, and this was the way they felt like they could do it, and it's not surprising at all. It's very disappointing when uh, when this gerrymandering and uh, it, it's just disappointing. But uh, but I'm not surprised, and I just I hope that I hope the only the only bright spot I see in this is that perhaps um, Lucy McBath and Carolyn Bordeaux can come to some kind of agreement and Carolyn Bordeaux could maybe run for a statewide seat now uh, in 22 instead of running again for Congress. But that's the only bright spot I see in it. Yeah. Yeah. And we probably can get to that in just a little bit. Um, But I'll tell you, I I don't know that they really felt they could have gotten both of those districts. There's, you know, Gwinnett County has gone so democratic and, and it has a million people in it. And so, therefore, um, I guess they kind of knew that there was going to be a Democratic district there uh, real soon. You know, like if they somehow found a map that they could win on in 2022 and 2024, they'd already be having problems. And so um, I think 
they knew they just had to do this, and so they went ahead and um, split it around. I kind of thought they might have gone north and south on those two districts and not gone, like, so far up into Dawson County um, with the six. They probably could have made the, one of those districts the more northern half, um, you know, Republican at least in the short term, and that's going to get into who runs for that district, which um, I, I think we can discuss that later on. But right now, I want to welcome to the Cousy Vine for the first time from right, race to the White House, Mr. Logan Phillips. Welcome, Logan. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Well, Logan, let's just start right off by uh, telling our listeners a little bit about your background and your bio. Yeah, sure. So, like you said, I run uh, race to the wh.com. And basically what it is, is I'm trying to help uh, people get a good read on where politics are using data. So I project how likely each party is to win every race that's up in 2022 on the senator and governor's races and uh, get a good idea of what the political map is and where uh, it's going to be most competitive, especially for activists that like to volunteer, that like to donate. So you can make sure uh, that your effort is going to the places where it will make uh, the biggest difference. Yes. Now, now you've told me about the site and, and, and what you do. Now, tell us about your background. I mean, where did the, you get the schooling? Is it more political science? Is it more economics, data, uh, math? What, what, what's your background? Yeah, sure. So I got my undergrad in political science uh, in Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. And then I uh, interned in the Obama administration, worked on Clinton's presidential campaign, and then uh, did two years of grad school very recently at Columbia before starting the site, studying international affairs. Oh, excellent. Okay, um, and so how long has the site been going? I started it as kind of a side project in the pandemic uh, out of a campaign management class I had with uh, now President Biden's deputy communications uh, secretary, um, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, and I had built a model that would help me predict the primary results. It did better than 538, and so I decided to turn it into presidential election once I had a lot more free time because New York City wasn't doing so great once everything closed down, so I needed something to do, and uh, I turned it into race to the wh.com and uh, built a forecast for the Senate as well uh, and launched it officially back in May of 2020. All right. We're Glad you did, uh, so you can share it with us when we go to the site and read about it, and then we have you on the show. Um, well, Catherine Smith and Tim Shiflett are on here, too, and they're going to ask you about some other states. But one I want to ask you about uh, is you did a model of Ohio. Um, Tim Ryan is one of my uh, favorite politicians that's outside of my state. Um, I think he really hits a tone in a lot of areas in which Democrats aren't doing as well, but uh, if we had more candidates like Tim Ryan – we might have a better fighting chance. And I think Ohio is one of those kind of places. Uh, tell us what things look like in Ohio. Yeah, well, Ohio is going to give us um, a few interesting kind of test cases to see. First, what happens when you have a Republican primary in a state that's kind of like almost like the Republican version of Virginia in that it is a swing state that clearly has one party with a lead but is winnable by the other side still. When you have people going as hard to the right as possible, as you know, you have Josh Mandel and J.D. Vance as the two top contenders in that primary, and they're going to such extremes that they're now praising people that went to the January 6th rally, and um, one of them got dinner for family. Not who went inside the building, but still were part of trying to overturn democracy, uh, which is obviously not the way to win over swing voters. Is that going to hurt them in a general election? And I think the answer is definitely yes, but the question is how much. And, and like you said on the other side, we have Tim Ryan who is one of the better candidates we have. This is a guy who won his district by 20 points, uh, Youngtown, Ohio, kind of like one of those Pete Buttigieg-style areas of industrial mill towns that have struggled um, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. Some of the factories closed down and the jobs went away. Um, and you know, he won his district by 20 points when Clinton won it by like 2 or 3%. Uh, barely over Trump as it's faded away from Democrats. So he's shown that he can overperform. He has that blue-collar focus, you know, the whole – like, I, I, he's kind of painting the Republican Party as the party that's obsessed with Big Bird and Dr. Seuss and these culture wars and will say a lot of things that, in theory, are to help you, but when it gets 
done to the actual legislating, they, they leave you behind if you're a worker. And he's arguing like that's always been his whole focus, his whole career. And we'll see if he can break through. Uh, I don't know if it will, but I think he has a shot. Yes. Well, now let's talk about the Republican side because, you know, you started out with uh, Jane Temkin, who I think was a little more of the establishment candidate, but really was kind of to the right of the mainstream. J.D. Vance, if he would have stayed where he was in, say, 2017, would have been much more to the mainstream, but has run further to the left because they've got Josh Mandel, who is just, I mean, he's in a full sprint to crazy town. Um, what do you think the outcome of that primary is going to be, and how does that affect the overall um, race, depending on which one wins the nomination? Uh, I think the nominee was likely to be whoever Trump endorses if he doesn't endorse, if he does endorse. And if he doesn't endorse, um, it's – Coming a huge problem because they're going a lot further to the right as they're trying to win his endorsement. I think they're actually going to the right maybe of the average Republican primary voter because they're gunning for Trump specifically to back them. Um, and that's never going to stop until he chooses one. And that they're giving more fodder to Democrats every day they can use against them. Uh, I can't say with too much confidence which one of those two will come out. I'd likely say Mandel overall only because, A, he's leading in support. B, J.D. Vance has a lot of things that can be used against him from when he was more moderate, was against Trump. You know, for, there's always like a quote of J.D. Vance saying the opposite of what he's saying now, that, you know, once the attack ads get flying at a higher level than they are now, you know, it, it, it might make Vance look inauthentic to Republican primary voters. Yes. I wonder if one of these guys or maybe ladies are going to try uh, one day where they, you know, uh, wear two biggest suits with ties down to their knees and you use the word tremendous and talk about golf and gold LeMay and all this crazy stuff. But then don't take the outlandish positions uh, that will come back to bite them because maybe if he sees somebody that gets him, per se, with all these hobbies he has and, and trappings, that maybe that would uh, bamboozle him, but that's just a theory I have. Um, it's definitely be fun to watch. Yeah, and, and, you know, I can't rule out that Gene Timken isn't going to win this either. I mean, if they keep going this far, they might just look really unelectable. Um, or they might just look – they might be going for enough type of voters and splitting them up that the Republicans that want, you know, Mike DeWine or John Kasich – you know, because Ohio has a long history of electing pretty solid Republicans that are good at their jobs that get stuff done, right, that reach across the aisle or that know how to govern. They might not be the type of person the Democrat wants to see, but it's like the best of the Republican Party often comes from that state. And so, you know, maybe someone like that can still win. And, and, and I don't know if that really describes Jane Timken or not, but uh, it certainly does more so than uh, the other top two contenders. Yes, you think in a big enough primary, a more moderate candidate um, could split the vote, particularly if there's not a runoff scenario. Well, I'm going to pass this over to Catherine, and then she'll pass it to Tim. Catherine? Hey, thanks for being on the show tonight. We really appreciate it, and congratulations on your new site. I'm thanks sure a lot. I appreciate it. It's really cool. Um, I want, wanted to ask you about Georgia. You know, we're finally uh, sort of a, you know, swing state. At least that's what people think of us now. Maybe a little bluer than we've ever been, at least since I've been here. Um, so we have a governor's race and, of course, the uh, Reverend Warnock uh, Senate seat. Uh, let's start with the governor. Um, have, you, have, you, have you been following everything that's going on with the races here? Yeah, uh, my sources are saying that Stacey Abrams is gearing up to run. Um, but I think the only reason she wouldn't is if she gets thinks the national environment is bad enough that she's better off running in a different year. Um, but I expect her to run. Yeah, I think uh, many of us do. I think there's a lot going on here with the um, Atlanta mayor's runoff and um, the special legislative session that just ended and I think she's been waiting for sort of the smoke to clear so she can come out strong. That's my impression. I, I have no inside, inside information about that. That's just having known her for a long time. Uh, it's my, my sense. Um, and so what do you think the, um, if she does run, let's just presume she's going to be running. And then it looks like we're probably going to have a primary in the Republican, on the Republican side, because, 
Brian Kemp has um, annoyed uh, Donald Trump and his supporters. So what do you, what, what do you think about the the dynamics of that uh, primary? Uh, I think that primary is going to have a huge role in the election. And, you know, I think that voters tend to get – sometimes they punish you when you kick out, you know, the person they might have preferred especially if it's because of January 6th style reasons. I mean, you know, you, you guys know better than me, but I think the combination of all the let's overturn Georgia's votes um, that did not exactly work great on the runoff, combined with later that day after Georgia makes their voices heard, you know, you have an attack at the Capitol to try to overturn an election again. I think this stuff sticks in people's minds, and I think if Kemp specifically loses because he refused to help overturn an election. It is not going to help the nominee. Um, it's go- it's going to be, you know, even if they run a great race, I think that's going to be uh, pulling them down a bit. Um, if it's Kemp versus Abrams, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. I mean, you're not going to have a 2018 style uh, way for Democrats. Um, Republicans look to have an advantage now that could change, could get bigger or smaller, or maybe a slight Dem lead. But um, Abrams is going to have to like benefit from Georgia continuing its shift blue and some of the infrastructure she's built to overcome uh, the loss of the national environment enthusiasm that Dems have. Uh, and, and I hate to say it because I love Stacey Abrams. I think that she'd probably be, Kemp would be favored, but she would certainly have a shot. I don't think it would surprise anyone. I mean, it was a lot more surprising in 2020 than it would be this time around, you know? Yeah. Uh, I do think that, um, the pandemic and some of the uh, stances that um, Brian Kemp took um, might have a negative impact on um, on him because because we were an open state, it did have an impact on a lot of things that we don't really talk about very much. But there was an increase in crime in Atlanta, and there's a lot of people who believe that that's because there were people coming in from out of state uh, to party in Atlanta because it was, an o- it was so open. And I think that will probably come, come into more um, highlight if Kemp is the nominee, um, especially depending on where we are with the pandemic by then, you know, with this new variant and all everything, who knows where we're going to be at that point. Okay. So how about Reverend Warnock? Have you had a chance to look at those numbers and that? Um, I mean, we've, we've seen a a little bit of improvement in poll numbers just in the past week or so, though. Uh, who knows how long that will last. Um, what are your thoughts about um, Reverend Warnock? Yeah, so this is a race I'm really focused on. Actually, I have a forecast specifically for Georgia. If you go to my site and just add slash Georgia, racethewilds.com slash Georgia. But I, I really am high on Warnock. Um, like I think my forecast has him at 65% chance of winning, which is more than most people would say, but I'm a lot higher than my forecast is like just personally separate from the data, because I think Warnock is one of the best politicians in the country. Um, he is decent, charismatic, outperformed both Biden and OSIF. Um, and I think he's going to be a, do a great job of mobilizing voters, even if Abrams isn't there, but obviously if she's there, the combo will do a great job. Um, of helping to continue to ensure that there's great black turnout. And I think also he has the capacity to win white college-educated voters in the suburbs, which is so important there. But I also think that even separate from that, you know, Herschel Walker, I wouldn't rule out that his weaknesses could just lead him to very strongly underperform. It's not guaranteed, but, you know, given that, you know, he – has a, a, production, a protection order against him with relation to his former wife after she testified under oath, and her family did, long before he was considering running for office, that he was threatening to kill her with a loaded gun on multiple different occasions, including in front of their child. Um, I don't think voters like that. That's not what you look for in a senator. Uh, and I know in this day and age people can get away with a lot more. But, you know, you got to remember, right, like Doug Jones beat Roy Moore by 20 uh, – beat Roy Moore in a state that Republicans normally win by 20, 25 points. Like, it doesn't mean nothing. Um, and, you know, as much as people like Walker as a person, as charismatic as he is, I'm just not convinced he can get past that. So that's part of why I think Warnock's going to pull this out. 
Yeah, I also think that if 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 it is Warnock and uh, Walker, if they do a if they do a debate, it's going to be embarrassing for Herschel Walker. Um, Reverend Warnock is very poised and very well informed, and uh, I I just I I can't imagine what that would look like. The other question is, you know, there could be someone else that jumps in. There's talk about, I think there's talk about, I don't know. There's a lot of rumors that spread around. So it'll be interesting, certainly. But I'm I'm with you with Senator Warnock. I love him, and he's he's a great guy and um, a really good uh, leader. And um, I'm so happy that he's our senator. Okay, I think that's all I've got, but I'm going to pass it. Unless you had anything else you wanted to say about Georgia. Well, actually, I want to other... ask you a question since now I'm talking to some, some Georgia pros. So I saw, you know, I, you know the one, one of the few bright spots on the 2021 election, even though it was clear that it was a bad national environment for Democrats that day, was Georgia. The fact that Democrats are able to make gains in all these, like, smaller-level offices across the states from where they did, you know, when Trump was president – Makes me wonder, is this a sign that Democrats are gaining in Georgia and are able to, like, if they're able to move forward, even in that type of environment? Does that, do you think that bodes well for 2022, or am I reading too much into local elections here? Um, well, you're... Did you... Go ahead, Catherine. You go ahead first. No, you can, you can go, David. You, you obviously have thought right at the top of your head, and I don't. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, I think, um, Logan, you're seeing some places like Henry County that are almost fully becoming Democratic. Gwinnett County's probably electing more Democrats at the local level. You're seeing some, you know, final push out in Rockdale, Douglas. Some Paulding County's going to start happening. Eventually, Fayette's going to become more Democratic. Kaida County, uh, like that Drew uh, Ferguson district, that's going to be one um, where maybe by the end of that cycle, um, you're going to see that become more Democratic, maybe not flip ever, but just like slowly, you're going to be like, what's happening to Drew Ferguson? He loses, you know, vote share every time. Um, Henry County, uh, for instance, they split into three congressional districts. Um, and it's a, a county with a lot of land size that used to be very agricultural and has slowly just um, – you know, gained to become a suburban county. It's where the Atlanta Raceway is. It's probably the most famous thing in Henry County. Uh, Tim, anything to add to that? Yeah, there's one thing to remember about Georgia is 159 counties here. There's a lot of counties for a state, you know, with 10 million people in it. But 29 of those 159 counties constitute the metro area of Atlanta, and over 60% of the state's population now resides in those 29 counties. And with this massive democratic shift, uh, or uh, demographic shift, rather, in those 29 counties, the population explosion, uh, the Democrats are, are, are really picking up a lot of offices in a hurry in those 29 counties. In, in the... Um, County I live in, for instance, which is a very isolated rural county up in uh, the northwest corner of the state, um, we've lost 4% of our population since the last census. Well, that's happening to rural counties all over Georgia, and with the population evaporation, so so too is the evaporation of political power in those counties. areas and it's just getting harder and harder and harder for Republicans to even draw uh, districts to favor themselves. They're probably going to lose seats in the legislature even though they just redrew the state house seats. And this this, um, upsurge for Democrats is is bleeding down into civic elections. Uh, The local uh, mayoral races in small towns and school boards and commissions and, and, and stuff like that, too, especially those 29 counties in the metro area of Atlanta. And that's, that's what's happening here, demographic shifts in a hurry. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, they might, they might need that, right? Because, you know, 
being able to win the seat when you ha- the state when you have uh, you know four percent win nationally um, is impressive given Georgia's history, incredibly impressive. But you know, mm-hmm. a lot harder to do it once um, you know you got you got a national environment. Republicans are up, uh, so so they only never edge they can get there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the other well, piece of this is that oh, sorry. No, I'm through. Go ahead, Kat. The other piece of this is that while we um, gain seats in municipal and city and local elections, we also build a bench of Democrats to run for higher office and get better name recognition instead of, you know, I mean, I'm always that person who says, I can't believe these people roll out of bed and decide to run for Congress and have never (laughs) run for anything before. So I think that's a, that's a, um, a good sign for the future that as we elect these people, and especially if they're young, um, then we're, you know, building a bench and building a party that um, can, you know, lead into the future. So that's all good news, I think. And with that, I'm going to pass it to Tim because I know he has a bunch of questions for you. Thanks so much. And Indeed, I do more than time will allow, I'm afraid, because uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. But um, one of my favorite politicians in the country, uh, Mr. Phillips, happens to reside in the state of Arizona, and that is Senator Mark Kelly. And, of course, one big worry for Democrats is the question, is Arizona really now a pure purple state or was the 2020 election there an anomaly? Uh, Can Mark Kelly survive there next year? Can he defeat, for instance, the Attorney General Vernovich if if he runs? And finally, we know how Donald Trump felt about uh, his prospects in 2020 in Arizona and he is not happy with any of the elected officials out there. What part will Donald Trump play uh, in the election of 2022 in Arizona? Yeah, I, I think Arizona is um, very much a purple state. It's it's had the same, a similar dynamic as Georgia in that you know, Phoenix is one of the fastest growing cities in the country and has been for some time. Uh, uh-huh. White college-educated voters there have shifted away from the Republican Party, and that's really helped Democrats. And, you know, the loss of Latino voters that they had in 2020 wasn't as bad in Arizona. Um, plus the strong turnout, you know, Latinos helped them win. So I, I think you're going to see them do well uh, or be very competitive there for a while, and more likely than not it'll continue to shift in Democrats' favor. But 2022, it's going to be tough. You know, I, I still like Kelly's chances, but I thought he was going to get really lucky here and face one of those unelectable or very hard, much harder to elect candidates. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, the head of their party, um, Kelly Ward, had run against McCain in the primary and, you know, led this F- – I think the party has censored Cindy McCain for, among other reasons, supporting John McCain. <laughs> which is not a way to win Arizona. That didn't work great for Trump either. Uh, but between her and Paul Golsar and Andy Biggs, all like the more hardcore promoting overturning the election candidates, decided not to run. And Brnovich is a good candidate. I mean, he, he has kind of fiddled around with some of that stuff, but not nearly as strongly. And he's had a history of winning. So he's probably going to be the nominee um, unless Trump maybe goes in and endorses uh, one of the other candidates, which he can't rule out. Uh, who, you know, feels are more loyal. Uh, so, so if it's Brnovich versus Kelly, I don't think Trump's going to play center stage of a role um, in voters' mm-hmm. minds. So Kelly's going to have to make the case on his own merits instead, I think, to win. Uh, and he's shown an ability to win over independent voters. He won them overwhelmingly by double digits last cycle. He did a great job in Maricopa County, which is where I think around half of the voters are. That's, that's the county that Phoenix is in and a lot of the suburban mm-hmm. area around it. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, but it's, it's, it's just going to be 
a little bit tougher given that this is still a state where Democrats were able to win some Republican and conservative independent support to succeed by people that didn't like the Trump-style politics. And I'm not so confident that they're going to be willing to support Kelly again now that Arizona has two Democratic senators. Uh, So I think this is going to be a tougher race. I think it's going to be quite a bit closer than his little over 2% win last cycle. If I had to guess, I think he'll pull it out but it could be by less than a percent, and, and the defeat there wouldn't surprise me. I think it might be the place where Democrats are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, another state we love to talk about on the kudzu vine and muse about is the great state of Texas. Uh, Democrats like us keep waiting for a breakthrough in statewide elections in Texas. Now, for quite a long time, as as we have in uh, in Georgia until recently, and we see uh, favored candidates like Beto O'Rourke stepping forward, and maybe you know celebrities like uh, Matthew McConaughey or, or somebody like that. Um, is that wait for a breakthrough anywhere near over, or is Texas political fool's gold for Democrats? I think we're getting close, and I think it's going to happen. I don't think we're there yet, but I think it's close enough that if everything breaks right, you could win one now. Um, Uh Uh-huh. I think that part of the reason why the Texas bench might seem a little shallow sometimes is, you know, Beto, Beto, he's talented, and he's willing to go for tough races. This is his third tough race, right, presidential you know, Cruz won by like 16 and, and this time around. But, but some of the other candidates that might run are probably waiting. It kind of makes sense. If you think Texas is going to be, you know, a purple state, why not wait four to six years, run when you're not running against an incumbent? Uh, you know, my, <laughs> this is probably a crazy theory that's going to be completely wrong, but I'm just going to venture or guess. I'm going to predict Colin Allred will be the first Democrat to win statewide. I think he'd be a great candidate, maybe in like 2026, 2028, or 2030. He's um, a congressman from Houston suburbs, African-American, represents an all-white or mostly white district, former NFL player that then got a law degree, became a human rights lawyer, works as a criminal, uh, in criminal justice reform in the Obama administration, and then beat a Republican incumbent. I wouldn't be surprised if him or someone like him decides to run once it's within striking distance and takes it. But I don't think we're there yet. I wouldn't say Beto has no shot, but I'd be surprised if he is able to take out Abbott. Now, looking a little bit at the national landscape, you list Democrats on your site right now with a razor-thin chance of retaining the U.S. Senate. Even Uh, in what... even in what might be a toxic atmosphere overall next year for Democrats, would that be because of the open seats on the GOP side that Democrats might be slightly favored to retain the Senate? Yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it is that these these uh, – it is going to be hard for Republicans – to um, win these seats, even if if the national environment is tighter, they win by one or two points because Kelly and Warnock are strong incumbents. History suggests that they'll overperform a bit. They did pretty well in the last election, winning by two percent. They can afford to lose some ground, and they're probably going to gain, you know, do a little bit better because of their past history of winning with more experience. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. other side, like you said, is Pennsylvania, right? That is the single most competitive state in the nation, in my forecast. Mm-hmm. Democrats have a great shot at taking it, uh, as, as do Republicans of holding it. But it's entirely feasible that they can pick up Pennsylvania and lose one of these states. And they even have a shot in North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Ohio that, you know, they could potentially pick up two. So, so when I'm mm-hmm. running all these simulations, right, like if they, if they win all four of those uh, of, of Arizona, Nevada, New Hampshire, and Georgia – Democrats mm-hmm. win 100 percent of the time. If they win three, they win 66 percent of the time. If they lose two, then it goes down to 15 percent, and it's almost—it's hard to see how they could pull out a win. But um, the, like you said, right? Because of Pennsylvania and those other states, their ability to survive a loss is very real there. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if they end up trading places in one of these. Yeah, and 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 a final question um, about this. Even in a state where they have an incumbent in Ron Johnson, 
we have mused, we, we've talked about the fact on here that perhaps the Republicans might be a little bit better off with that seat actually being open than with running Ron Johnson again. Is there any merit to that argument? Oh yeah, I think there's a lot of merit. I think I think Republicans themselves are divided on that. They don't, they don't talk about uh-huh. it out loud, but so so you know my forecast of chances for Democrats would go up if Johnson doesn't run. But you know while I'm a data guy, I don't think that means we can't look at you know trust our eyes too, right? Like data is in everything. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. And he's he doesn't sound like the Ron Johnson that won in 2016 anymore. Mm-hmm. That I can certainly believe. Final question, and then I'm sending it back to David. Could we see in 2022 a repeat of 2020 in which the Democrats do really well in U.S. Senate races and the GOP prevails in House races? Yeah, definitely. I think that's probably what happens if most Democrats have a huge shift in the national environment, which – you know, despite all the doom and gloom lately, I would not rule out. I mean, right now, I think it's viable that Biden gets better or he gets worse in his approval ratings, right? But right uh-huh. now we have, we have the problem of inflation. We have America stuck between the pandemic and that it's not – obviously, on a, on a rooting for the country level, we all want it to get better. But I think it's, this is the worst point where it's not as front and center as it was in the summer where voters really prefer Democrats – but we haven't gotten past it, and it's still holding us back from living a normal life, and so voters blame the president and the status quo. That improves if the inflation isn't as bad, if the economy is booming, which you know a lot of these economic forecasts say is more likely to happen. That could have one of its best years of growth in 2022 in a very long time. You know, and Biden is able to um, really message well with a lot more money going in, in ads on build back better and infrastructure would he accomplish. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up doing a little bit better. And, you know, if you look at his approval ratings relative to the generic ballot of do voters for Democrats or Republicans, his approvals are terrible and, that, and, and voters are split. So to me, that suggests that voters are not quite sold on the Republican Party at this point in time. So, so while I would say, given history, Republicans are more likely to win the national popular vote and with it the House – I wouldn't rule out uh, Democrats improving their position and making that race more competitive. It's not a prob- it's not a probability, but in my view, it's a possibility. All right, I appreciate that. And with that, I'm going to send it back to David. David, thanks for the yeah, great questions, I wanted, guys. I wanted to follow up on the Texas thing. I, I think you're right about Colin uh, Allred having a real upside, and I do think 2022 is going to be tough. And um, you know, as much as the power outage and other things in Texas you think would help Beto O'Rourke. Um, but there were two down-ballot candidates that I wondered if you thought they could – if Beto O'Rourke got close enough and they outperformed him, could they possibly win a down-ballot race? One being Lieutenant Governor candidate Matthew Dowd, former, you know, Bush – George W. Bush campaign strategist running against the very controversial uh, Dan Patrick, and then further down the ballot – the land commissioner, George P. Bush, is vacating it, and the heir to King Ranch, which is like as red state as red state can get, like every you know, you know, good old dude that votes probably straight Republican would love a King Ranch Ford truck and watched him on Yellowstone. There, the heir to that fortune, uh, Jay Ingsberg, is running as a Democrat. Do you think either one of those two candidates could possibly? Um, kind of speed up the timeline in 2022. Well, I don't know enough about those two candidates to have too strong of a take. I know that Dan Patrick's favorable ratings are a lot better than I kind of expected. Um, But I think that it's definitely possible that you could see some overperformance. And and from what you're saying about those things, I actually think that the power outage and the abortion bill are having a huge effect on Abbott's numbers. It's just this guy was one of the most successful politicians in a long time in Texas. He usually wins his elections by 15%. And so the fact that he's only pulling like four points above Beto right now is pretty stunning, actually. Like that's a massive underperformance. And so if Beto ends up losing by three or 4%, I know people don't get, you know, participation trophies, but that suggests that kind of like a, a governor or candidate in Georgia that was a sign of good things to come. It might be a sign in Texas too, especially if it's a bad year for Democrats elsewhere. Um, and, and 
I think it definitely would make sense to see some overperformance in something like, uh, did you say land commissioner? Um, land commissioner. Split. It's, yeah. it's what? It's land commissioner. And this guy, I mean, King Ranch, I don't, I don't know, where you, you know where you're living right now, but around where Tim and I live, you'll see some Ford King Ranch trucks. And people get all into King Ranch. They were just on Yellowstone, which is like one of the most popular red state rule shows on television. Um, and so I'm thinking if this guy can sell the fact that he's the heir to this fortune, but he's a Democrat, that could get a few ticket splitters. I think it's definitely possible. I mean, Texas is a place of ticket splitters. Uh, I think Abbott won by like 15% last time. I don't, I might be wrong. I'm not off the cuff and Beto O'Rourke lost to Ted Cruz by like two to 3%. So that's, that's a lot of voters willing to split parties. Um, so you know, if if your hunch is right, and I think it, your hunch makes sense, um, then uh, it's definitely possible. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. I think this is about Greg, Greg Abbott. Um, while I can disagree with him on political opinions, the fact that he got in that car accident and lost the ability to walk but still, you know, got in that wheelchair and lived an incredible life and, you know, just didn't let it keep him down – I think that's the thing on a personal level people can respect even when they disagree with him, and that may buy him a few points. I mean, right or wrong. I mean, people can say that's very um, crass or or, uh, negative that I would bring that up, but I do think it's a personal story that uh, people can sometimes um, not identify with but, but respect. Oh, 100%. And I think it makes sense to uh, respect someone for that. It, it takes a lot of tenacity. Yeah. Well, uh, Logan, we're almost out of time, and I feel like we could discuss 10 more states. Um, go ahead and just tell our listeners how they can see the site again, and then if there's anywhere else they can follow you on social media, uh, tell us where that is. And then, like I said, we've got a whole country out there. we got to have you again on in 2022. Oh, I would love to be back on. It has been uh, such a pleasure talking with you guys. So if you want to check out the site, it's race to the wh.com. And if you forget that, just Google 2022 Senate predictions. My site will be one of the top two or three uh, on Google. And the big things we do, I think the most important thing is the Senate forecast followed by the governor races. Uh, and then there's some states like Georgia where we're trying to do deep dives, you know, that have a full page uh, into it where I'll do – uh, show where the polling is across different demographic groups, right? So I will gather all the polls um, that include in the details like how voters, how the candidates are doing with black voters, Latino voters, et cetera. Uh, and I'll put them into a poll average too, where I weigh the polls a little more if they're recent from great pollsters, things like that. Uh, and while those aren't perfectly predictive, it gives you a really good inside view into how they're doing um, with all of these different groups. And for rate states that have a lot of different candidates, I show how the polling changes with those groups for every matchup. A bunch of other nice little features like that. So be sure to check it out. I update it every day. In uh, 2020, my apologies for bragging, but just to establish the credibility, um, my Senate forecast was one of the most accurate in the country. Uh, we outperformed Nate Silver in predicting the final margin in each state. Um, and got as many races right and uh, better than almost all the other contenders out there, too. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> we might have got lucky last time around. You'll have to follow in 2022 to see if uh, we can repeat the feat. All right. Well, we're going to continue to read the site and get information from it, and then we hope you have a, a wonderful holiday season. And on the other side of it, I'm going to reach out to you and get you back on the show. All right, great. I really appreciate it. Oh, and just to answer uh, on the Twitter, it's Logan. R2WH, or and you can also just look up Race to the White House because I have a Twitter for that too. Excellent. Well, um, and we know that we tweeted out about your with your handle, and you retweeted. So if anybody follows us, they can look on today's feed and find yours as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. All right. Thank, thank you, you, sir. So much. Bye, guys. All right. That that was Logan Phillips of Race to the WH. Uh, glad to get him on. So many. Um, uh, states to talk about. And then um, while we were on the show about 50 minutes ago, uh, Matthew McConaughey dropped a three minute and 13 second video. Hey, Matthew McConaughey's people could have called us and put that in the show. We could have still had our mayoral predictions. 
still had Logan on his 720 and found out the news that he is indeed not going to seek office in Texas this year, um, which with Beto O'Rourke running, um, th- there was really not a lane for him. I mean, if, if he would have run instead of Beto O'Rourke as the Democratic nominee, there was a path there. If they both run, uh, they would have just split the vote. I mean, I think McConaughey would have gotten right. some of Abbott's vote, but um, that, that kind of makes sense. Uh, Catherine, Tim, your thoughts in that order? Yes, agreed. Agreed yeah, definitely I agree. that there was no lane for both of them. Yeah. Yes, I All agree. right. Yeah. Well, um, thanks again for Logan Phillips for coming on the show. And uh, until next week, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, guys. See y'all. Good night, everybody. Good night. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a full...